0: hey what's up everyone it is pastor marcus here from the storychurchproject.com welcome to the Project podcast where our focus is how to redesign the local Adventist church to tell its story loud to a culture that is no longer listening i hope that you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today Welcome back to the Story Church Project Podcast. I'm super excited. I know I say that every single time um, I do a podcast, especially when it's an interview, Uh, but I really am excited because today the topic is actually a question, and the question is this. Do Adventists stink at City Ministry? Now, that's a big question. It's a loaded question, which is why I'm super excited that I am not alone. I am here with Urban Church Pastor uh, Zachary Payne. Zach welcome to the podcast brother how are you doing? I'm doing good man thanks for having me. Awesome bro so look Zach uh, we want to get to sort of know you a little bit um, before before I start uh, the conversation and dig into this into this topic which I know you're really passionate about our listeners are really passionate about we really want to hear uh, what you have to say. But before we talk about the ministry side of things and the urban church side of things, um, we want to know a little bit about the legend of Zach. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. I <clears throat> was born in Apopka, Florida. Uh, so I'm from down South from the tropics and, uh, I've slowly climbed my way northward. Uh, so my family and I moved, uh, to Indiana, uh, Indianapolis area. Uh, when I was uh, about nine years old. Uh, Grew up attending large uh, churches, you know, uh, Forest Lake Church in uh, Apopka, Orlando area. Uh, About 3,000 members currently. I'm not sure what it was then, but it was probably about that size. Um, Went to church uh, in the uh, pretty much inner city, Indianapolis, Glendale Church, uh, probably about... Five six hundred members, uh, and uh, slowly, like I said, climbed my way uh, up north. Did did go to school at Southern for a while. Yeah, uh, but I shout uh, out to
0: Southern. Shout out to Southern. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh
1: yeah, the promised land. <laughs> uh, and uh, ended up pastoring in Green Bay, Wisconsin, for a while as a as a youth pastor, and uh, completed seminary at uh, Andrews University, which you know I wish it could have been at Southern. Uh, but that's just not how it works. Mm. And uh, now I'm now I'm back here in uh, Racine, Wisconsin. That's where uh, I'm living, and I pastor churches uh, in the southeast part of the state. So here in Racine and Kenosha, and then out in the country, uh, I have a church uh, in in the town of Raymond. Um, I am married to my wife Allison, who I met uh, in Green Bay we have two kids uh arthur who is three years old and eleanor who is 10 months old
0: so look, let me ask you because you said wisconsin you're in wisconsin um years ago i was in the army and there was a guy in my unit from wisconsin and he absolutely hated hawaii because that's where i was stationed he absolutely hated it because it was too hot (laughs) He was from Wisconsin, and he just absolutely loved the cold. So is that like a thing there? Like it's cold there, but do people there love the cold? Or was this guy just a weirdo who happened to really like the cold? You know, it's
1: funny. Uh, not everyone's the same. I mean, you know, being from Florida, you'd think that I hated the cold. And I, I think living in Indiana for a number of years, I really, I really did. Mm. Uh, I think in my heart for a long time, Florida was home. Uh, but I've, I've lived up north so long. Uh, and I've gotten to the place where I actually enjoy the cool weather weather better. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, uh, yeah, like I won't even roll my windows down when I'm driving until it's like in the 60s. You know, like <laughs> 60s is like doable. Yep. Anything above that is like a little too warm. 80s. <laughs> I mean, this it's been a long summer, so for me, it's been a little bit miserable. But I've acclimated, uh, you know, and and I can I can enjoy florida along with anyone else but uh you know i i like to get back to the to the coolness of the north uh but i have church members who have lived here their whole life they love wisconsin but they do uh
0: hate the cold so okay there you go it's
1: not for i can
0: can dig those people i can dig them because i grew up in (laughs) jersey man like <clears throat> oh gotcha. bro, I never like the cold. I still don't like it like I love living in Australia. let's just put it that way. <laughs> gotcha. I, I don't think I can ever go back bro. it's so warm over here. Well, look man um thanks thanks again for coming on to the uh, podcast um, for for our interview his Mom Zach. like I said at the beginning, our topic today is do Adventists stink at city ministry? Uh, now, this topic didn't just sort of appear in my amazing brain. It was actually inspired by a recent article that you titled uh, or that you authored, rather, on Adventist Today with a slightly more nice title. Um, Do Adventists understand urban ministries is a lot nicer than my title. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I didn't even give it that title. So, uh... oh, so, So was that sort of like an editor thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, I just gave him the article,
0: and that was so. So so it's getting all sorts of uh, titles, but I I don't mind. (laughs) There you go, man. (laughs) Well, look, I want to talk about the uh, about the uh, the article and. There's some questions that I want to ask in relation to it. Now, first, I'm going to say this. Um, I, there's no way that I can cover everything in this article. So anyone listening, if you want to check the article out, do Adventists understand Urban Ministries. It is on Adventist today. That's atoday.org. And I'm also going to link it in this episode as well. Whether you're on the website, um, looking at the blog, it should be linked underneath. Or you're on SoundCloud, it'll be linked underneath as well. Um, So just check it out, Uh, Do Adventists Understand Urban Ministries. Now, I I want to ask questions about just a few of the things that you mentioned in this. And uh, it was kind of hard picking which ones, but uh, I've I've narrowed it down to three. And that's what I want to focus on. Um, One of the things that you really hit at in this article from very early on, and it sort of bleeds through the rest of the article, is this sort of tension between the philosophy of urban ministry, so reaching our cities, um, and the actual practice of urban ministry. So there's the people who basically, you know, the armchair urban ministers, and then there's the urban ministers with dirt in their fingernails who are actually out there doing it. Um, and I sort of get the impression that you're a very practical guy. Like you, you're, you're tired of the philosophizing. You just want to do it. And, and so I wanted to start our conversation with that sort of tension and and why, you know, why the philosophizing side of it, um, why why it sort of rubs you the wrong way, uh, if I understood you correctly. So yeah, just just share with us.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'd like to say I, I actually. Um, I appreciate Adventist academia. Uh, I, I, I'm i not totally sure that I'm done with it, you know? So, so like, <laughs> yeah. you know, someday, I mean, I, I could see myself eventually perhaps teaching or, or going on to get a PhD or both, you know? And um, so I, I do appreciate philosophy and academia and, and theory. Uh, but I, I think that, it's not just the philosophy of urban ministry. It's, it's the philosophy of ministry in general that when the rubber hits the road, it it sometimes comes up short for me. Um, Yeah. And that's just because you've got people who, you know, bless their hearts. And by the way, I appreciate what they're doing. uh, But you have people who either, you know, ministered a long time ago or never did practical ministry who are teaching in our seminaries and our, in our, our schools uh, about how to do ministry. And again, I soak up everything that they have to teach. But what I've noticed is that, you know, after going to Southern, working for a couple of years, going to uh, the seminary, working for a couple more years, um, is that, you know, the ideals that they teach aren't always applicable in real mm-hmm. life, uh, yeah. at least not as readily as, as they kind of seem to, to hint at. You know, and there's there's all sorts of models that people teach and all sorts of, you know, ideals like you must, uh, you know, work with, you know, you, you can't work with these kind of people as your leadership. And it's kind of like, well, then you're given a district and what if those are the only people
0: exactly. who are in leadership? That, that, like
1: that's who you have to work with. You know, you're that's not going right, to pick yeah. the everyone out. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is an inappropriate theology. And, and while I can agree, uh, you know, what if my leadership accept that kind of theology. Am I just going to come into the church and kick everyone out, or am I going to work with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just I think off the bat, uh, the philosophy and the academia of ministry sometimes is, is uh, impractical, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that's exactly what I'm doing here is practical ministry, you know? And yeah. so I can philosophize all day, uh, but it's not going to mean anything to anyone in a real sense. So that's kind of what I was talking about. You know, there, there were definitely some, um, some large brush strokes, some, some, some broad strokes uh, painted by a lot of the, the people at the conference. Um, there, were, there were definitely people who I respect and think probably have done lots of good urban ministry uh, either recently or, or long before. Uh, but, you know, just what they were sharing was not necessarily stuff that was going on right now. And yeah. so that, that's what I really appreciated was, you know, some of these guys who were invited, and it wasn't the big ticket speakers necessarily, but some of these guys who were invited, it was just like, you know, oh my word, this person is pastoring right now. This person dealt with these huge social that was that was going on in, in their area. We all heard about it around the country, around the world, and they're right there dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like those were the kind of stories that I just thought, well, wow, that's, that's something that I can glean. That's something that I can yeah. look at and say, in today's social climate, in today's urban centers, you know, here's something that's working. Here's something that they've done. Here's the way the spirit has led them. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that was very powerful and personal just to what I'm doing right now. Now, again, going, uh, going, you know, if I was to go back to academia, again, I'm, I'm all about the philosophy, all about the, the theory um, and I'll you know I'll write about it and, and use it in papers all day, but academia and philosophy are a vacuum, and and those things, uh, when applied to the real world, uh, just don't always match up. And, yeah. and I think another thing is you have a lot of these, uh, and, and I'm not saying that everyone is going to relate to my own uh, district in my own context. You know, I I've, I told you before I have four small urban. Uh, well, three small urban churches and one rural, um, and you know, you you sometimes get these people who are pastors of huge churches, university churches, you know, big Adventist churches, and while I while I can resonate with those kind of churches, it's also just not like for me. Immediately practical because it's like, well, that's really great that you were able to do all of those social ministries for your community. (laughs) But you're actually one of five pastors, and your job is to do community services in you know in your area. So like,
0: you're going to accomplish much more than me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, man. Look, as I hear you explain it, it kind of reminds me when I was a soldier, um, we would we would train for missions, and. And it was interesting because you could have your mission plan looking really neat on the chart. You know, your convoy, your map, everything looked really good on the chart. And then when you actually got out there and you did it, stuff just went haywire and and you had to think on your feet you know like crazy things like i you know there was one particular mission in iraq um it was a very uneventful mission it was boring mission but th- this one thing happened that was just so comical that i never forgot it because we'd rehearsed the mission um we had our plan everything was you know ready everything was good to go we got in our hummers we did our radio checks everything was working properly and we you know we left we left the wire which is you know For those who weren't in the military, it just means the base. We left the base, you know, driving through hostile territory to get to the next base. And so we had our plan. Everything was, you know, legit. Literally two to three minutes after driving out of the base, all of our radios stopped working. (laughs) You know, so I called the convoy commander to do a radio check and it's like, What's going on, you know, and then, you know, a few minutes later, everybody realizes our radios aren't working. So then you had to resort to other ways of communicating, stop the convoy. Now you stopped your convoy in the middle of like this hostile road and you're having to jump out and figure out what's going on with our radios. Like we could have never trained for that. It just happened yeah. and to this day. Yeah. None of us have any clue why our radio stopped working. It just, you know, it just happened. And that's what it's like in ministry as well. Like you can, everything looks really cute on paper. Until your boots hit the ground and you're confronted with a real devil who's trying to stop you and derail you and, and distract you. And you're confronted with real people, with real challenges, you know, yeah. ideological challenges, personality challenges, emotional challenges. And all of a sudden your cute plan, <laughs> right. just, you got to think on your feet, you know. So I really resonate with what you mean. Like I love philosophy and philosophizing. But there is a space where it's like, you know what, you can only do so much of that because when you get here, where where the pain and the sweat and the tears are at, a lot of that just boom, you know, you got to think on your feet, man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, uh, you know, just, just one uh, recent example is, you know, that I've just been a little bit <clears throat> uh, baffled with is just this idea of like, you know, you go to seminary and you hear about Theologies that are like, you know, okay, well, you know, th- th- this is something that should not be in your church. <clears throat> but I just found out recently, you know, one of my elders, who is a founding member of this church uh, and well respected by all of the all of the members, uh, is a is a shepherd's rod. And <clears throat> you know, I'm asking people about, uh, you know, how do you how do you work with shepherd's rods, and everyone is responding to me call the police get a restraining order. <laughs>
0: <And> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, bro, I was I I was a part of that conversation. I think I might have said something along those lines too. <laughs> well, I know and, and you know what?
1: Like I like I hear everyone's advice, but I'm also like, first of all, like this is this is going to be a this would be a huge upset if I did that. It's it's one guy and he's an elder, he's well respected. And not only that, again, an ideal but real life situation, he owns yeah. the church building. So so realistically, I can't kick him off of his own property. You know? Ooh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it's just one of those, again, like you can have good advice, you can have, you know, but uh, in a vacuum it works. And, and yeah. in a lot of real-life situations it works, but sometimes, you know, in your own situation it's kind of like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel like that is – yeah. necessarily the thing that's going to work here.
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, look, since you're on that, I think this is an excellent segue for my next question, which is actually a bit of a hot topic, uh, depending on where you are. <clears throat> this this can be uh, a little contentious and 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 possibly even divisive. I don't know, I'm being too nice here. It can be divisive, right? Okay. <laughs> um and that is I want to read a quote from your article and then I want to talk about this this particular topic because as you're discussing now, you know, like when you get out there, you know, you can talk about, you know, this is how you should do it. You can try and develop a formula and it would work that way if, you know, all things were always equal, but all things yeah. aren't always equal. And so you have to adapt and things. So here, here's, here's the quote. I want to read the quote and then we'll dive into it. Um, this is from your article. And um, and for those who are listening, who haven't read the article yet, I just want to give a little bit of context. I should have done it at the beginning. Zach went to a conference on urban ministry. And so his article was inspired by the experiences that he had at the conference. So this was one of the speakers, Zach, at the conference. And, and this is what he said. And um, I can't remember who it was that said it. Um, perhaps you can enlighten us after I read the quote. It says this, Every time ministry to the cities is brought up in an Adventist context... The well-meaning saints come out of the woodwork with this or that Ellen White quote to the effect that, yes, we can minister to the cities, but we'd better not live in them. Now, I don't know if the speaker said that or if that was your commentary on some of the things that he said. But um, I want to talk about this idea of, you know, when it comes to mission to the cities, there's this sort of controversy over... You know, Ellen White said we should leave the cities. We shouldn't live in the cities. We should get out of the cities. The Sunday law and all this stuff, you know, get out of the cities, get out of the cities. Um, And and that's what is being addressed in this quote, that whenever this sort of conversation comes up, the immediate answer is people say, yeah, we can minister to them, but we got to be like Enoch. He didn't live in the city, but he would go into the city and minister and then he would leave. You know, and, and and that's what is being addressed here. So share with me sort of your perspective on this. And I want to bounce back and forth because uh, I've got some thoughts on this too, but go on.
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> so this was, uh, this was my commentary on a devotional that Pastor Todd Stout gave. Uh, Todd Stout is the pastor of uh, Church of the Advent Hope in Manhattan, yes. uh, New York City. Uh, so, so that was a, a comment that I made as far as the saints coming out of the woodwork. Um, but you know he and I didn't reference this in the article because I I didn't I don't think that he backed it up necessarily but he did make the claim that one of the safest places in the world to live today is New York City Um, so again he didn't back that up and I don't know where he's uh, you know what his source is on that Uh, but I thought that that was interesting uh, and I think that he was trying to combat this idea that City equals evil, uh, mm. you know, and and this idea that Adventists have that sure you can live outside of Nineveh, uh, but and and go to Nineveh to preach, but then you know go back to your home outside of it so that you're not corrupted. And I think the thing that I think about, um, and maybe 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 some people uh, feel me on this. I don't know. But I, I don't feel necessarily any less safe in the city uh, than I do out in the country, uh, and and maybe I watch too many like uh, crime uh, TV shows, <laughs> like those backwood uh, crime ones, <laughs> right, right. Or, or or you know I watch too much Fargo, um, <laughs> but, but maybe um, but maybe just my own experience here. Uh, not that I have a lot of experience with crime in this area. Uh, however, <clears throat> uh, we live on the I-94 corridor, and if you're not familiar with that, Interstate 94 goes uh, from from the uh, east up through Chicago uh, over, I believe, into Minneapolis and beyond. Um, so it, it passes right by our area, right through Milwaukee, uh, and, and it is a known and notorious route for human trafficking and drug trafficking. Trafficking, Um, and you you know, it's a very uh, innocuous innocuous place. Uh, You know, you you think the the Midwest, the Upper Midwest, so wholesome, uh, you know, so so kind and and simple. Uh, But but this is apparently one of the very very known places where that kind of stuff happens Mm. uh, very frequently. So I mean, even in our own communities here. Uh, just off the highway at gas stations or, you know, various, uh, various stop-offs. Uh, these kind of things are happening. Uh, I, I took a ride along with a police officer who took me out into uh, the west side of Racine County, um, driving me around, you know, the countryside, and he's telling me all about, uh, you know, the problems that they have with, uh, with meth and heroin users out in the country and how, uh, you know... Police officers are actually required to carry something called Narcan. I believe it's called Narcan, uh, but it's a it's a an overdose reversal. Uh, wow. And so people are uh, calling the police and then overdosing and with banking on the police officer to get there on time. And the police officer is is required, of course, by his job to administer the Narcan. Um, and so you have these people who are just, like, going for this extreme high that technically kills them, but then, you know, the police officer brings them back to life. This is going on in the country, outside of the city. Um, and, uh, you know, so you've got a, a lot of crazy stuff like that happening outside of our cities today. And so I think, you yeah. know, you have these, this context, this ideal, you know, where Ellen White is talking about, don't live in the cities, that's the scary place, live in the country. I don't know that we live in that world today, uh, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. And and so, I think <clears throat> considering that, considering that being outside of the city may not be in any less of a sinful uh, atmosphere, you know, where can you do the most good? Where is your biggest mission field? And that's going to be in the cities. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, like like the beginning of this article says, I'm not saying that. You know, rural ministry is not uh, uh, necessary. It definitely is, um, but most of the people in the world now are living in urban areas. You have this high concentration uh, of people. So, so why not go where the people are? People Mm -hmm. need Jesus, right? Uh, And one of the things that Todd Stout points out in uh, in his talk as well is just that you know when you live where the people are you can feel their problems you're affected by what they're affected by That's you right. see the social issues you see the things that need to change and you have a voice as someone who lives in the community you can mm-hmm. come in from outside uh, and and make your voice known uh, when it, in regards to civil matters uh, but it might not you know your, your opinion might not weigh as much uh, not being from there
0: yeah absolutely man well you know one of the one of the big challenges i think um in addition to what you're talking about like sensing the needs of the people you know if if you don't live among them you, you can't sense the needs um but one of the big challenges i i remember a uh, a class that i had at southern where um the professor you know opened up the class by asking a question about city ministry and immediately one of the students read that passage um where enoch you know from patriarchs and prophets where enoch you know, he lived out in the country and then he would go into the city and then he'd come back out Yeah. Um, and said, look, this is the blueprint. This is how we should do it. And it's pretty much, as, you know, they call, it's called the outpost method, you know, like having something outside of the city and then you travel into the city, you minister and then you come back out. Um, <clears throat> and, and the professor made a really good point because again, you know, we're talking about sort of like an ideal, a formula, and then there's real life that you're hit with and, and real practical challenges. And um, the reality is today, um, there might be some cities where you could practically do that if we were going to do that. So, for example, there might be some cities where you could practically get away with it, but there's other cities where it's just absolutely impossible. You know, for example, if you were going to minister in 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 you know Midtown Manhattan, and you lived out in the country, <laughs> it's you, like you're a talking two-hour
1: commute.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's without traffic. You know, like it's. Yeah. I mean, it took me. I grew up in you know I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, just twenty minutes south of Manhattan, without traffic. Right. But with traffic, it was two hours to get into Manhattan. And I'm talking like I wasn't I wasn't anywhere near the country. I was still in the city. You know, it's it's not like I lived away from the city. I was I just lived in a different you know in another part another city, um, yeah. and so if you if you're traveling from the country you know every single day you're talking two maybe potentially even four hours somewhere around there, um, and you're gonna do that every day back and forth. You're gonna go in, yeah. you know, for four yeah. hours. And then, it's not wise. It, it's not practical.
1: It, it's not and practical it's, at all.
0: Yeah, and so. You know again you know it's easy to say these things it's easy to talk about and there might be some cities where you can you know maybe chattanooga i don't know maybe, maybe you could do something like that there but the point is you know apart from the logistics and the practicality of it um the real issue is that you, you need to get a sense of what people are really feeling and what they're really going through and i, I just want to read this one quote um from the book, Mission to the Cities by Ellen White. And uh, it's an amazing compilation. And I really encourage anyone listening, if you haven't read it, to read it. Because one of the challenges that we face, because uh, you and I, and I just want to make this clear, we're not um, disparaging you know, the, the wisdom and the testimony of uh, of Ellen White by saying, oh, oh we sure. disagree with her. Um, really, what what we have is that most of us are only aware of one side of her counsel we're not aware of the other and, and she was a very balanced person and so you have compilations like um you know country living or something like that where you have a lot of these heavy quotes about leaving the city and and oftentimes we never read the quotes where she actually says the opposite um and so this book mission to the cities if you could get your hands on it it's the other side of her thinking that hasn't been popularized as much uh, but here's one quote it's from page 113 and it says this Uh, This is Ellen White writing. She says, Close around us are cities and towns in which no efforts are made to save souls. Now, here's the shocking part. Why should not families who know the present truth settle in these cities and villages to set up there the standard of Christ, working in humility, not in their own way, but in God's way to bring the light before those who have no, no knowledge of it? Then she goes on and says this, there will be laymen who will move into towns and cities, move into towns and cities, and into apparently out-of-the-way places that they may let the light which God has given them shine forth to others. This isn't the picture that we generally grow up with, you know, when when you just, you, you know, you've only read Country Living, it was like, leave the cities, you know. There's a whole other side to her counsel. And as you read this book, what you find is that, you, you kind of get a broad picture of her mind as it related to city ministry. Because in this book, she talks about establishing churches in the city, you know, having churches in the city. But she goes further than that. She says, we need churches in the city. But she says, these churches need to be training centers. So they need to be, basically, they need to be centers of influence, to use a modern phrase. You can't have a church that's a center of influence in the smack in the middle of Manhattan, for example, if you don't live there. It, it would yeah. be impossible to manage it. On top of that, she says we need restaurants in the city, and you know how are you going to manage a restaurant in the city <laughs> if, right. if you don't live in it, you know? So you got you know she she talks about restaurants, she talks about the um, church, she also talks about schools. She says schools should be in the country, but there are families who can't afford to take their kids out there, so we need to make school build schools in the city for them as well. And yeah. so you've got the school. The only time in in you know, Oliver Council, where you really get the no city sort of idea, is when she's talking about the retreat centers, and that makes perfect sense. You know, because a yeah. retreat center is a retreat center. Like you don't want to be sitting in a retreat center with you know every taxi in Manhattan honking. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. you know the sanitarium. So so that that makes sense. But this idea that we cannot live in the city is certainly not something that Ellen White. Advocated for. There's a whole other side of her counsel that hasn't really been popularized, and um, so I really just want to encourage you know anyone listening if you can get your hands on that book Ministry to the Cities and read it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but I agree with you, man. Coming back to your final point there, this idea of really sensing and feeling and understanding the context and the pain and the situation, the issues that people are living with on an everyday basis. Uh, that incarnational ministry is so powerful. Well, oh, and, it, and it's
1: uh, it's amazing how different the country is from the city. Um, <clears throat> I just read a book last year called uh, "What is it called?" Uh, forgive me while I. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Okay. Uh, there's this book that I read last year called *The Politics of Resentment* by Kathy Kramer, and it uh, it directly affects the context that I'm in. It's about uh, well, the the subtitle of the book is *Rural Consciousness in Wisconsin* and the and the rise of Scott Walker, um, okay. who is the our, our uh, Republican governor uh, of the state, and uh, it it very much goes through. The idea that, uh, especially in Wisconsin, which is, uh, I think the, you know, they say the most uh, politically segregated and divided country uh, in the in the nation. You know, of course, a lot of people say that about their own states, but um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 there, there's very strong Republican uh, uh, hideouts and there's very strong Democrat hideouts, and uh, and a lot of times the dividing line is between the city and the country. And I think that that's probably true throughout the nation. Um, mm. And so it's interesting that even, like if I were to live 20 minutes west my, my whole idea of the city would probably be very different because my neighbors would all uh, fear the city. You know, I have people uh, even at our, our uh, rural church who have asked me a number of times since I moved uh, to the city of Racine, uh, do you feel safe? Are you safe where you are? Uh, you know, and and it's really it's not a huge city. Uh, it, it is a city, uh, a smaller city, uh, with uh, big city crime statistics. So there is that, uh, but I have never once felt unsafe uh, living living here. And so it's just, it's interesting how even, like, I could get, you know, if I lived out there and I listened to the rural people and I did not live in the city community, I could very easily fear the city. Uh, But living in it, you know, I have have a different view of, of the city. You know, I feel very safe there. And so it, it's just interesting how even just living, you know, again, this is only 20 minutes difference. You're out in the country here. Uh, it, it, you know, it's not the kind of thing where, I mean, you could live in the country and come into the city in this instance. Um, but uh, but I decided to move to the city so I could understand what the, the issues were going on there. And, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so it, it is interesting how where you live affects how you think about other places. You know, how you think about the other. Um, yeah, and, and so, you know, in, in, in the same way, you know, I, I think of the city like I feel I feel safe here, but I'm kind of scared of the country because of all the, <laughs> the heroin and the, and the, you know, sex trafficking and all that. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting how, you know, depending on where you live, it definitely it changes your view of of those other places and the people who live there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So like you said, I, I probably have a better idea for what's going on in the city because I live here. Um, And it's been uh, a positive thing in my mind because Mm. I live within the city limits. We have a church within the city limits. I sit uh, on a council of local uh, Christian pastors uh, who meet with the mayor of the city of Racine once a month. We talk about the issues. And I feel like being, you know, living and pastoring within the city, meeting with them, you know, like I feel, you know, even that much more qualified to speak to some of the issues and to understand absolutely. some of the topics that they're presenting, uh, which I feel like if I lived outside of the community, I would not only understand those things less, but definitely feel less qualified to speak to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And and you need, I think what you're really talking about there is rapport, like having a good rapport with the people that you're ministering to. And, uh, and that's, you know this incarnational model of ministry and I and I saw this look I've got one more question um before we run out of time but I just wanted to just mention this one last sort of note um that I did go to a to a church um in a city I visited a few times it was an amazing church it was an urban church doing urban ministry and I met with the pastor because I wanted to know um you know what's going on here what can I learn from you because I love what you're doing And the first thing that he said to me was, we're not as successful as you think we are. And I said, huh, that's odd. And he looks at me and says, well, you would think so because every time you come on Sabbath morning, it's full to the brim. Like you can't fit anybody else in the church. And he said, the reason why we're not successful is because we don't measure success by how full we are on Sabbath morning. We measure success by what percentage of our membership lives in the community. Yeah. And So he said that they made a goal that 50, they wanted 50% of their membership to live in the community that they we're ministering. And he said, uh, at the moment, we're at 8% and climbing, but we haven't reached our goal yet. So that's why I'm saying we're not successful. And then he gave me the practical side of it. He said, here's the practical side of it. Our church is full on Sabbath morning, but only 8% of those people are here during the week to do life with the people in this community. Only 8% of those people can actually do Bible studies with people in this community uh, war, volunteer in the school in this community you know help the 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 you know the single moms and those people you know the homeless in this community only eight percent of the people you saw on Sabbath morning can actually do that which isn't a lot and he said the reason why is because the rest of them drive 30 45 minutes to get here on Sabbath morning from out in the country or just some suburban town elsewhere. And then as soon as church is done, they drive their 45 minutes back yeah, and yeah. 8% of us are left here to live out the message that was preached, to, to live out the mission and the vision of the church the rest of the days and the rest of the week. And, and, and what and it, it does is it creates this real practical challenge of actually bringing Jesus to those people. So yeah, go on. I was
1: just going to think about it. You know, you minister to who you are, right? And I was just talking about uh, the politics of resentment, the way that you fear the Mm. people who are different than you. Those people who live in the suburbs, those people who live in the country, they're going to come into the city, and they're scared of the people in the city. They're not Mm going to do Bible studies there. And by the way, it's inconvenient because it's out of their way anyway. Exactly. So if if anything, they're going to bring more people from the suburbs, from the country to come to their church in the city, and then leave. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I see his struggle, uh, and, and we, I don't know that we have uh, such a low percentage, but we, we definitely do, in, in certain churches, uh, have quite a few commuters, and I, while I love them, and I'm happy to have them in our community, I'm also uh, just wondering if, if, you know, there are churches closer to them. Would they be more effective there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and at the same token, is our priority to, to evangelize the neighborhood around us? Uh, and That's
0: if right. it's if it's not, uh, is that a problem? Mm. That's a really good point, man. Well, look, um, <clears throat> we're we're coming up close on um, on time, and so we we can dig into this more and more and more. It's so powerful. But I I, I wanted to ask one more question before we wrap up. Um, you went to this conference, you heard all these presentations and speakers and stories. I want to know, was there any particular story that someone doing city ministry shared or testimony or something that you would consider like a favorite, something that really inspired you?
1: Well, w- one of the things I write about uh, in, in my article is about uh, Pastor Daniel Shisto, who was uh, last year working. He, I think he just he recently transferred to the Washington, D.C. area and. Um, and I'm forgetting which church that is, but I think it's the college church there. Um, and uh, he, but he was working at the time last year in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, during you know the the well when when Heather Heyer, the local uh, woman from the community, was killed for protesting a white nationalist group. Uh, she was yeah, actually I, run over with a out. car. Hmm. And uh, you know this this church, you know, again this. These are shots heard around the world. I mean, we all knew what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, and, and this is someone who, you know, I just actually met him at the conference, uh, but we had kind of rubbed shoulders on, on different online groups, and I had seen his story from afar, uh, that his, his church just went to go and uh, mourn the death of this local community woman uh, they they marched out singing songs. We're gonna put roses on her grave, uh, and and then when they got, or not not to her grave, but the place where she was killed to mark her one week, uh, you know, anniversary of her death. And when they arrived there, her mother was there, uh, mourning, and she turned and looked and said, "I need you, come to me." And and they all came and just like mm. he said, there was like a wave of Adventists crashed over her with you know, weeping and hugging and, and, and praying, and, and they, they prayed with her, they sung with her, uh, and, and I just remember thinking, this is it.
0: Mm.
1: Like, that Seventh-day Adventist church addressed an issue in a powerful way uh, that, that no one else, no one in the country, no one in other states, I mean, no one else was equipped to do that, and the Spirit said, go there, they went, and and that family, that city was blessed because of it, and and those were the yeah. things that I think uh, that story in particular. But those kind of things, to me, are the most impactful. You know, uh, meeting an opportunity, meeting uh, a crisis uh, when when you know when when it counts. Because right. if if you go too early, if you go too late, it doesn't matter. God is calling you right then and there, and then did you answer and Yeah, so that's that to me was was impactful
0: that's that is really powerful man just just as you share that story you know I can feel the the emotion uh in me you know like my eyes got teary you know just just picturing this woman being blessed by and and it reminds me uh as as well of um when the gay nightclub was uh I believe it was in Florida Pulse. uh there was that shooting where um uh, there was a lot of people killed and some of the local churches adventist churches you know put out a message hey we'll do your funeral for free you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and you don't expect a church to reach out to a homosexual community like that and say we're here for you we we feel your pain and we want to serve you you know we can't we can't take the pain away but here's a small little something to let you know that we we care about you and and it's little stories like that where wow when you see them and you experience them, you just want more because that's what it's really about. Yeah,
1: and, and I, I knew people who were involved in that as well, and I remember thinking in the same way, yeah, this is it. This mm-hmm. is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, you've got these wars, these rumors of wars. You've got these tragedies, you know, natural disasters, but also just people being evil and crazy, and you're hearing about them every day. I mean, it's every day in the news some tragedy happens. And if an Adventist church can be uh, there to meet that crisis, to meet that opportunity, uh, I say why not?
0: God is big. He can do big things. Absolutely, man. Zach, dude, I have really loved having you on the podcast. Um, I'm going to... Uh, make an offer for anyone who would like to get in touch with you and ask you questions about urban ministry or um, urban evangelism or anything related to that space of conversation. If, if they wanted to get in touch with you, uh, look you up online, shoot you an email or something, how can they find you?
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, So you can find me a number of ways. First of all, yeah, you can feel free to call or text. Uh, My number is 920 Six zero nine zero four eight three. I don't mind giving it out. It's all over our website, so it's very <laughs>
0: public information. That's right. Yeah. Uh,
1: and and you can you can uh, email me at pastor at racine sda org. And Racine is spelled uh, R A C I N E, like the word racing, but with yeah. an E on the end instead of a G. <laughs> so Racine District. <laughs> Uh, sda.org, and you can go and feel free to visit our website, Racine District SDA.org. Uh, it's a district website where we address uh, multiple things that are going on uh, between our multiple churches in the community.
0: Yeah, awesome, man, awesome. Well, once again, Zach, uh, look, we're out of time, man, but thank you so much for taking the time to um, to come on the podcast, uh, the Story Church podcast today and, and sharing with us, man. And once again, absolutely love your article. It's gonna be linked below. Your contact details will be linked below as well. And um, once again, uh, just... Thanks so much, man. I've been really blessed just by hearing your stories and, and and you know, sitting at the feet of the Zachary. Uh, it's been awesome, man. It's been awesome. So um, thanks again. Also, for those of you who've been listening, thank you for uh, tuning in for another episode of the Story Church Project podcast. I want to remind you, if you haven't had a chance yet, to so head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. I've got a, a free gift that I email to so everyone who subscribes. I think you're going to love it. And uh, share this uh, conversation with your friends, with your family, with your church, so they can be inspired as well. And I will catch you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's latest episode of the Story Church Project podcast. I hope you were blessed. If you haven't yet had a chance, I want to invite you to head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Not only will you get the latest updates every week, but I'm also going to send you a free gift straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss it. I'll catch you on the next one.